sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. As president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's the commitment I make to you as president. It's my opinion, he is a danger to himself and others. Finally, a guy in broadcasting that represents the very average side of us all. The following broadcast is in the hands of a college-educated, barely-employed guy that does a podcast for an audience of fewer people than Paris Hilton has brain cells. It's hard to imagine that he's perpetually single. Now, from the middle of Desert Urbana, this is Michael Brown in exile. So I guess this is uh, take number three on uh, on Monday's show, sort of, in a way. I'll explain. Uh, welcome in. It's another edition of Michael Groff in Exile for a Wednesday, March 31st, 2010. My, how things change in a year, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, uh, I've... I've been trying to do more podcasts this week, but apparently the electromagnetic spectrum has a problem with that idea. As uh, Monday, uh, I had I, I did a great show. It was really the best show I've ever done in my entire life, and I wish you could have heard it. But unfortunately, uh, our recording software here, Adobe Audition, decided that it didn't want you to hear it, and it crashed, and we lost that podcast, so... And it was a great podcast because I didn't talk about Obamacare. I didn't talk about any of this crap that we've had to deal with forever now. I know. Believe it or not, there's actually more going on than just that stuff. So I I put a moratorium on it on Monday, but you didn't get to hear it. So whatever. Then Tuesday, we had another little blip, little power failure. (laughs) Sometimes... I'm pretty sure God doesn't want me to do podcasts. And, you know, it's weird because I'm not even going to be talking about the Catholic Church and all the stuff that's going on there. Is this thing on? I think my microphone just exploded. Anyway, yeah, so we we do have, uh, as you can imagine, because... This is the third day we're trying to do the same podcast and the fact that, you know, we're still kind of irregular on these. Though I am going to, I, I have to make this commitment right now to do them more often. And there's a there's a reason for that, and I'll get into that in a minute. But we, we have just a pile of things to talk about. There's just way too much going on, way too much stuff that needs to be covered now. Well, 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 what have we here? 
It seems that remember the Stupac 12 or the Stupac 19 or the Stupac 9, whatever、uh, amount of people that Bart Stupac had behind him. Well, I wondered why at the 11th hour, and many of us were wondering why in the 11th hour, he decided to change his vote from a stern no vote on the health care reform bill. To a solemn yes vote. And of course, we were all told that it was because Barack Obama gave him the reassurance that he would issue an executive order saying that no federal funding would be used for abortions. Well, if you believe that, of course, I've got some swampland in Yuma to sell you. But beyond that, It did seem a little bit odd how quickly、uh, he changed his tune. And I wonder, and of course, cynically so, I always wonder when somebody changes their tune on a vote very quickly. I wonder if there was a little extra persuasion in terms of dollars. You know,、uh, the almighty dollar might have spoken loudly. Well, as it turns out, we have some news about that. It seems that, yes, believe it or not, I know this is going to come as a surprise, especially to people like Rachel Maddow and Randy Rhodes and、uh, even Tom Hartman. But believe it or not, it, it seems. That some of these votes might have been bought. What? As shocking as it may seem, yes,、uh, some of these votes may have very well been bought and paid for. And、uh, we have some, some news on this, and it is not from some right wing organization. It's not from Fox News. It's not from CNN, MSNBC. It's not from any major media outlet. Actually, it's from a nonpartisan watchdog group called the Sunlight Foundation. And、uh, yes, they're shining the light on this particular piece of, of waste.、Uh, and, and it looks like a lot of earmarks have been set up for Bart Stupak, for the state of Michigan, and for some of the other people as well. So we're going to highlight this coming up in just a few minutes. It's just、uh, it's a lot of stuff. You're not going to be hearing about this on.、Uh, On、uh, MSNBC or CNN. Keith Olbermann is not going to be talking about this. But luckily, you have somebody like me who will. And,、um, you know, I'm sorry, but fair is fair, and we might as well、uh, point this out.、Uh, we have some news on CNN and MSNBC. Speaking of all that as well, I, I should probably talk about that. And then I, I want to bring in, I want to also get into this, this notion. You know, now we've had these Tea Party rallies over the weekend. I saw Sarah Palin was in Searchlight, Nevada. And then there,、uh, they, she came down here to Tucson、uh, to stump for John McCain for state senator, for, well, not for、uh, senator of the, representing the state of Arizona,、uh, because he is up for re election here in 2010. And as if that's not enough, now、uh, they're going around.、Uh, Sarah Palin, I don't know even where she's stopping next, but I know that they have just all these different rallies. It's all going to culminate in a big one in Washington, D.C. eventually. And,、uh, and of course,、uh, everybody's attacking the Tea Party movement. And listen,、uh, believe me when I tell you, I'm not exactly a big、uh, Sarah Palin fan necessarily. I'm not here championing the cause of Sarah Palin. I just think it's interesting how right now, We're so polarized in this country, and everything is, is such a polarizing factor that now,、uh, anytime we have any of this disgusting, despicable violence that's gone on against senators, representatives,、um, we immediately, or at least some people, are immediately attributing that violence to tea partiers. They're attributing it, to, and of course, they make their little shots at tea baggers and all this kind of stuff. 
And I just find it interesting how immediately extremists, not even extremists, let's just call them what they are, crazies, immediately crazies are automatically lumped into uh, Republicans or more specifically, they're lumped into the Tea Partiers. And you have, uh, and of course, it's just interesting how this happens. Now, of course, uh, what they're forgetting to mention is that Eric Cantor, a Republican, had a bullet fired through his window. I guess we're just going to conveniently forget that. Was, was that Tea Partiers also? I don't think so. Uh, let's not forget that uh, we've had we've had other we've had other violence going on against uh, Republicans. We've had certainly some uh, some uh, some. In fact, this guy. Um, this guy uh, that fired the bullet through Eric Cantor's window, I, apparently this is the same guy that sent over a thousand uh, threat, threatening videos, a thousand, along with threatening phone calls. Listen, if you want to go tit for tat, we could certainly do so. We could. If you want to attribute everybody that's on one side to the Tea Partiers, I could go tit for tat and, and, and go and uh, attribute some of these, uh, these other nut jobs like that woman in Alabama that uh, just got up in the middle of a meeting and she just uh, she just opened fire. She just killed a bunch of people. Uh, we could attribute her because she was a big Barack Obama supporter. We have another one here. Uh, we have another um, Barack Obama uh, campaign, uh, major campaign contributor that's been involved in some uh, violent activity. I mean, we could just, if you want, we could go down the list. However, I'm not going to do that. See, I don't attribute people that do crazy things to Democrats with Republicans, and I don't attribute people that do crazy things to Republicans with the Democrats. I don't do that. Uh, I just attribute them to being crazy people that should probably be locked up. I attribute that to being crazy, which is really what you should be doing. You should give the proper attribution here. Um, there are extremists on both sides. But the polarization that's going on right now, immediately, the first thing that went on on, on places like Daily Kos and these other places, remember uh, Joe Stack, as soon as he flew that plane into the IRS building, it didn't take but about 10 minutes for the folks over at Daily Kos to immediately say, ah, another teabagger, ha ha ha, and you know, people on FARC and all these other websites were saying the same thing. It's not particularly intelligent discourse. It's not doing anything to elevate uh, the level of discussion in this country. And I have to tell you that it's not even accurate. That's the other part of it. If you read Joe Stack's little six-page manifesto, he had some very unkind things to say about the Bush administration. He had some very unkind things to say about the federal government in general. But the other problem is, is then people... Um, and I hate to say this because now it'll sound like I'm polarizing, but I'm just, I'm telling you the facts here. You have some of these talking heads on the left that immediately attribute you, if you're against higher taxes, if you're against government waste, if you're against, all of a sudden now you're lumped in with the Joe Stacks of the world. Oh, well, what? Are you going to be some nut job who flies his plane into a building next? I mean, this is the kind of thing that goes on. It's the kind of rhetoric and it's, it's sickening. Frankly, and that's the problem. I don't like that rhetoric, and uh, most people don't like it. It's just not. It's not healthy. It's not good. Okay. So uh, that's. I just had to get that off my chest here. So I, I wanted to mention that. That's the polarizing that's going on here, and of course, so we're attributing. Uh, I guess we're going to attribute all the uh, bad that's gone on to the Tea Partiers, because as you know, 
uh, if one or two people do something extreme and they're not even associated with that group, we might as well just lump them in anyway. That's what we should do. All right, the big news of the day, though. Oh, we have other big news. Um, the big news of today, and I'm going to backtrack here a little bit too in a minute, but uh, today's big news is Barack Obama, in what I could only call, I, I have to say, when I first heard this, I did a double take. Barack Obama has decided that we're going to drill off the eastern seaboard of the United States. We're going to be drilling for oil. Yes. This is not April Fool's. Had this story come out tomorrow, I would have thought that Matt Drudge and, and all the other major uh, media outlets were pulling an April Fool's joke. But no, this happened today, March 31st. Uh, Barack Obama even made a, a, a statement. I'm sure tomorrow, what is he going to do? He's going to go, ah, April Fool's on that. <laughs> you, you guys actually bought into that. You thought I was, uh, was going to try and uh, ease our dependency on foreign oil? <laughs> Just kidding. But he says he's, uh, he is for at least somewhat limited drilling. Uh, in a stretch of land from Delaware all the way off the Florida coast. Now, this is a stark contrast to some of the comments that he made uh, during his campaign. He was running against John McCain, as you'll recall, and John McCain and, and the Republicans, you know, drill, baby, drill became the uh, the mantra uh, for the Republicans. And, and Barack Obama said, if I thought that that would solve uh, the problems at the pumps, and if I thought that that was going to help, maybe I'd consider it. But there is no way. It will not. Sorry. I am not, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I am not going to. Uh, the, e the ecological damage uh, could be uh, extensive. So we're not going to be drilling off the eastern seaboard. Well, today we are. Now, for me personally, um, I have to tell you that I just find it interesting how I don't hear anybody over on the left saying anything about this. I don't hear, and I'm not talking about just the left. I'm talking about the people that supported Barack Obama. Nobody is saying anything about this. They're strangely quiet. Just like when he uh, sent more troops into Afghanistan and all these Barack Obama supporters who voted for him on the hope and change platform and how he was going to get troops out of Afghanistan. And then he sends 50,000 more over there. Suddenly, not a word. Not a word from the Obama supporters. They they don't say anything about that. They're too busy going on about health care and how the Republicans are the uh, are the obstructionist party and how we're just going to get our agendas done. But how about these issues? These are some pretty significant issues. I mean, Afghanistan. Now you've got. If you're a Barack Obama supporter, if you're somebody that voted for him on this hope and change crap, and now. Uh, here you're seeing the same old thing. You're seeing Washington as usual. I mean, that's what this is. Yeah, he passed a very watered-down health care bill that we have no way of paying for, no means of paying for it. And it's just going to increase the deficit uh, exponentially in our, in our debt as well. Um, but never mind that. Okay, so we got that through. Um, and even the Democrats didn't like it. But they said, well, I guess it's a step in the right direction, I guess. Uh, so you've got to be wondering what he's thinking. Now, Republicans don't even really know what to think about this. In a way, it's, it's an interesting political strategy, and this is what I really think this comes down to. This is political strategy. The strategy is people are very pissed off about the health care. All right? Uh, there's a new poll out today, another, another poll that shows that the majority of Americans are against the health care legislation. Just another poll that shows it. 
But what, what happens is, is the American people do have something of a short memory. And if you show them that maybe you can move to the center a little bit and you can go for, you throw the Republicans a bone, which is, I guess, what Barack Obama is doing here uh, by the offshore drilling, throwing the uh, Republicans and the oil companies a bone here, uh, then maybe the, you'll soften the blow in November. I guess maybe that's Barack Obama's strategy here. It's obviously strategy. He's not doing it for any kind of altruistic purpose. He's not doing it to ease our dependence on foreign oil. Uh, we, we know this, and we know this because, uh, well, there is, uh, he didn't open up Anwar. Um, he did open up some uh, Alaskan drilling, though. Quite a bit has actually been opened out of this. But it's not going to ease our dependence necessarily. I think um, from from an environmental standpoint, and if again, if you're um, somebody that voted for Obama because you were concerned about the environment, you were interested in the climate change aspect, or you thought that he was going to do something uh, uh, that was ecologically sound, uh, you know, uh, in good step with the EPA, well, you've got to be pretty upset at this decision. In fact, you have to pretty much consider this a sellout, don't you? Is this not a sellout? I'm not talking about how I feel about it now. I'm, I'm legitimately asking the question of people, and I don't know how many people that listen to this podcast voted for Barack Obama or how many would want to admit to that now. But let's say you did, and I'm, I'm going to ask an honest question. This is not meant with any kind of, I'm not being at all uh, flip or pejorative in any way, what I'm asking is, what do you think, how do you feel about the fact that he pretty much has turned his back on you and what you voted for him for? I mean, if you voted for him because you thought he was going to get the health care pushed through, well, then, you know, fine. You're satisfied and you don't care about this other crap. But really, if you voted for him on the hope and change... In a way, he's really extended the Bush doctrine here a little bit. He's, he's continued, he's escalated the war in Afghanistan, and now he's, he's uh, uh, opening up more drilling operations. In a way, he's pushing the Republican agenda better than the Republicans did. And it goes back to how there's really not much of a fundamental difference between Republicans and Democrats anyway. Uh, many people have long said this. It's been the cynical message that goes on out there. And when you see things like this happen, you kind of have to believe that, don't you? Kind of. All right, so that's, uh, that's the big news of today. Now, a couple of days ago on Monday in Moscow, we had a, uh, a terror attack that went on there. Two female suicide bombers attacked the metro in uh, Moscow, killing, uh, let's see here, I believe they killed 37 people. And hundreds were injured. And I, I, obviously you've heard a lot about this story, but there's one thing about this story that I, I think if you really read the any of these stories that have come out, or most of them that have come out from the various news agencies, whether it's uh, the ones from uh, Russia, whether it's ones from here in the United States or abroad, uh, if you read through these and you do what I do, and that's read fairly critically, and you look at how the, the story is written, you're going to notice one very important detail missing from the story. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, whenever you read a news story, there's always the old journalistic attitude of the five W's and the H. Who, what, where, when, why, how. Well, the who is two, sui two female suicide bombers. 
the what is a terrorist attack? The where in Moscow on their uh, metro system. The when was Monday. The why, well, because... Well, uh, the why is not exactly explained, and that was the detail that's missing, and it, it ties into the who. And the how, well, they had explosives, and uh, they blew themselves up. And really, uh, they had... There were other plans. I think this, there's, uh, there are other terror plots that have been busted up in the last week or two that may be connected with this as well. But what I'm driving at, the, the point that's missing from this story is the fact that, huh, nowhere in, the, in any of these uh, stories that I've read did they mention that these are Islamic Suicide bombers. Nowhere was the word Muslim or Islamic mentioned anywhere in here. Allah Akbar. No, it wasn't mentioned at all, as a matter of fact. Well, isn't that curious? <laughs> How can you have a story about female suicide bombers when clearly, now, uh, it, it has been reported, this isn't just something, this, this has been reported in other media outlets. There are a few places that actually have the stones to mention this. But for the most part, it has been covered up that these were Islamic women, uh, suicide bombers, and and the stories that have come out from witnesses, witness accounts and everything like that. I mean, it's just, it's a terrible story. It's a very tragic story and really just a, a blight on humanity. And yet here we are, we're sitting here right now on, uh, what is today? On Wednesday now, we're, we're more than 48 hours Moscow time were what, about uh, 60, 70 hours after the attack. And some of the most important details are, are still sort of being covered up in this ordeal. And I find that just a little bit disgusting myself. Why would they leave that out? All right, well, uh, some other news. We have a lot of stuff. The Michael Graff Show stupid news file. I want to talk a little bit about the healthcare stuff because we still have a lot of... Um, Still a lot going on from that. I'll, I'll talk about Bart Stupak. I'll talk about the health care bill because a lot of people don't understand this covers um, people up to 400% above the poverty level, which is most people. And uh, I've, I've really fallen into a little bit of a trap. I have to admit this. I've fallen into just a little bit of a trap the last few days. What I've been doing is I've been debating with people on my Facebook and online, various places. And, you know, some of it's not debate. Some of it's just discussion. And then some of it's debate. And then some of the debate uh, degenerates into personal attacks and a bunch of garbage. Um, because, unfortunately, when, when people have to resort to that, it generally means they got nothing. You're done. You know, and so I've been getting very fired up about this and I'm, I'm trying to spread the facts about the health care bill, but I want to take a look at it a different way. And we'll do that coming up in just a few minutes. We'll definitely get into just a little bit of that. All right. The final four is set in college basketball, uh, Michigan State, Butler. What? Yeah, Butler is in there. Duke and West Virginia. Interesting. Uh, so if your bracket had Butler, West Virginia, Duke, and Michigan State, well, then you're lying um, because nobody's, I don't think there's anybody that had that in their bracket except for, 
I was, uh, yeah, uh, there is, there is one guy. Now I don't know if, if he still has everything intact, but there is a guy, an autistic guy who filled out a bracket and there's video of him filling out his bracket before the NCAA tournament. And through last Saturday night, he, he had every game correct. He nailed every game up through last Saturday night. I don't know if he got all the rest of them on Sunday correct, but through the first part of the Elite Eight, he had every game right. So there's a very good chance, well, for sure, if he got every game right up through Sunday, he has at least two of the final four teams. Maybe he's got them all. And it's documented, this guy, there's a, there's a video of it and everything. This guy... Uh, Autism, he's picked every single game right. You know, years ago, it wasn't even that long ago. And uh, if I'm repeating myself, uh, forgive me, but, you know, I've done two podcasts in the last two days that have been deleted. So I, I don't even know what I've said and what I haven't. But um, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2007, maybe it was 2006, but whatever. Uh, I filled out a bracket and I do this every year. And my bracket, the first two days, and this is still in the archive someplace, uh, I got all 32 games in the first round correct in my bracket. And I was in a, I entered that bracket into one of these radio station contests where you win $10,000. Now, I, I submitted a bunch of brackets that year because I was like, all right, I don't know. I'm just going to submit and I'm going to try and win some money. So there was one station you could win, you know, 1,060 bucks. There's another station you could win, uh, you know, a thousand or five thousand, and and some of them, all you had to do to win the money was just beat everybody else. And then there was one where if you got if you got it perfect, you'd get fifty thousand dollars, and if you won, if you just beat everybody else, they they give you I think five thousand dollars. So the first through the first weekend, or the first uh, the first round of the tournament. At thirty, I went thirty-two and zero, and I I thought I, I was just like that's the hardest part of the tournament, really. That first round is killer, so I figured I was well on my way. If if not to the fifty thousand, at least to five grand. Then the next round came, and I, I did I missed a, I missed a couple of games, but only a couple. In fact, so to the first up until the Sweet Sixteen. There I was. I was sitting at like 45 and three. And when, you know, um, I, I, so I decided to look at, you know, how everybody else was doing. There was one other guy that had, that was 45 and three. And I thought, you bastard. And uh, we, you know, got, we pretty much had almost the identical bracket. And then what happened was um, national championship game, came and uh, we had the same I, I, I think it was the year Florida won we had the the same final four the same championship game and what it came down to was a tiebreaker you know it's, we filled out the final score in the national championship game and his was like two points better than mine so he won the five grand and that pretty much put me off from sending in <laughs> brackets anymore to radio stations I was like you know, I'm done. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Forget it. I was, but 32 and 0, and I, and I thought, how is this autistic guy, how does this guy uh, up through the Elite Eight, and I don't know how he's at this point, but, you know, 58, 59 games in, I mean, how is this guy perfect? It just doesn't even seem possible. 
All right. Well, hey, look, I mean, more power to him. I, uh, I don't, I don't begrudge the guy. I just, I just think it's actually a really cool story. All right. Uh, coming up, we have, uh, we have to talk about all that that I mentioned. Plus, as you can imagine, we have the Michael Groff show, stupid news file. And, um, well, let's just say it's a bad idea to steal a handbag. Okay, it's not a, not, a, not a good thing to do. Especially a bad idea to steal a handbag from a cop. But it's really, really a bad idea to steal a handbag from a cop in a bar full of cops. You, know, you have to, it's a certain level. Of, I'll give you credit for having the balls to do it. If, if by balls you mean, you know, incredibly stupid... I think that's more the uh, <laughs> that's more the general thought I had about it anyway. So that's coming up. Obviously, because we haven't you know done the podcast, it's it's you know we have all these kinds of stories overflowing. Plus, if you want more frequent podcasts, well, I'm telling you, they're they're definitely here. All right, we're we're going to be having them because. Well, I'll give you. This is a little tease. I'll give you the reason why coming up on the other side. Well, let's just say I can be bribed. I'm no different from a uh, from a representative in Congress. Mike at KMGX.com. That's the email address. And coincidentally, that's also the PayPal address. Hint, hint, wink, wink for your most generous donations. Um, EFNet IRC, the channel net radio, and on AOL Instant Messenger, our screen name is Michael Groff Show. You're listening to Michael Groff in Exile. More coming up. Segment number two, Michael Graf in exile on a Wednesday, last day of March 2010. Yes, already one quarter of the way through the year, which by my math means like 43%. All right. 
Mike at KMGX.com is the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Grav, show the screen name. And of course, uh, MichaelGraff.com for all of your Michael Graff needs. Now, I did mention that we're really going to be ramping up the amount of podcasts, and we have to because, as you know, I am like a U.S. senator, a uh, congressman in general. I can be bought. I can be bought and paid for. And so since I was bought and paid for, I I, I must now ramp up the number of podcasts because uh, one of our listeners was amazingly generous. And sent some money to Mike at KMGX.com. That's our PayPal address. And uh, this person sent $100. I'm not going to mention who it is on the... I don't know if they want their name on the air, but... He or she... There, I've, I've revealed that it's a human. Uh, yeah, not a corporation. At least I don't think... He or she donated a uh, hundred bucks, and I uh, really appreciate that. That is that is incredibly awesome. So, just want to give the uh, the public shout out on the uh, podcast with regard to that. So, thank you very much. And if you'd like to buy some airtime on the podcast, no, I mean, but seriously, that's uh, that's great. So we are. I'm, I will be ramping it up for a while, but I do have some... Uh, I will be away in, in Vegas uh, here and there um, starting in a couple of weeks. So, But I think I could probably work it out to do some podcasts from Vegas as well. Got the, got the laptop here, so maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll try that. We'll see how that works. I don't know. I don't know what I'll do without my, my studio sitting next to me with all, all out of my buttons and switches and lights and all the heat that's generated in here. Jeez. It is. It's, it's like 10,000 degrees in here already. And it's only March and you know, it's it's actually, we're supposed to have some uh, some cooler weather tomorrow. But unfortunately, um, you know the really, the hot oppressive weather is right around the corner unfortunately. And uh, we're going to have to deal with that. All right, so I have to, I, I mentioned this, I'm going to point it out. Uh, yes, some, believe it or not, some of our illustrious congressmen may have had their votes paid for. Uh, that's how their decision suddenly changed at the 11th hour to vote yes on the Obamacare bill. Now, this isn't Michael Groff making a wild accusation. This is brought to us by the Sunlight Foundation. This is a nonpartisan government watchdog that looks for these types of things, that looks for specifically earmarks, wasteful spending, and uh, people like Bart Stupak who suddenly changed their vote at the last minute. Well, now we have to investigate what might have gone on. And as it turns out, a day, I mean, this isn't even subtle, one day after the health care bill was signed, 
Wouldn't you know, old Stupak suddenly is looking for about $500 million in handouts. $500 million in earmarks for the state of Michigan. Now, here it is. Uh, Let's see if we have this uh, correct. The 11 members were the focus of high-level pressure by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it turns out that Stupak requested more than $578 million in earmarks, including $125 million for a replacement lock on the Sault Ste. Marie, $25.6 million to build a federal courthouse in Marquette, Michigan, $15 million to repaint the Mackinac Bridge and $800,000 to preserve the Quincy Mining Company smelter near Hancock on Michigan's Upper Peninsula. In 2009, the first year that members disclosed earmark requests, most members requested far more earmarks than were funded by the Appropriations Committee, which approves or denies requests. So Bart Stupak, now what we're going to find out is is whether or not uh, it's one thing to have earmarks set aside for nonprofit entities, but the whole point in, in, in what's gone on in, in the Obama administration was supposedly we were, we, there was a ban. You know, we've had this longstanding ban, supposedly, on giving earmarks to for uh, for-profit organizations, for corporations. Well, um, hold the phone on that. Let's see. Uh, despite the the ban, Stupak requested a total of fifty-two million dollars for companies in his district out of the sixty-five point nine billion or million rather, that he requested uh, for the defense appropriations bill. Um, let's see here. There's, there's, I, I, there's a note here, and I, I wanted to get to this. Universities and nonprofit organizations may reap the benefits of the new policy, though for-profit companies won't be shut out. Stupak requested $4 million in earmarks for the uh, for the Consortium for Plant Biotechnology Research Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation that researches, develops uh, a new strain of seeds, including uh, through genetic engineering, to aid U.S. agriculture. But here's the problem. The consortium's membership includes, quote, 39 agribusiness companies and trade associations, according to Stupak's request. So what's happening is, is there are people that are going to be making money off of this deal. And there's a, 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 a significant amount of money in his earmarks here that could potentially be going to corporations. And we're going to see what the Appropriations Committee approves of. And that's where you have to, uh, and this is where the Sunlight Foundation comes in. They will be following the money. And they will be seeing uh, not just Bart Stupak, but these other uh, 10 guys, uh, 10 congressmen that were along with him, congressmen and congresswomen uh, that were along uh, with him on this. And they're going to find out who's going to be getting some of this money. And by who we mean, is it just going to be these altruistic purposes? Clearly not. Clearly not, because already we know uh, that there's many businesses that are going to be reaping the benefits from this. 
So that goes to say, uh, who, uh, who stood to benefit from suddenly changing your vote to a yes vote? Oh, all of a sudden the appropriations committee is going to play ball with you now, Mr. Stupak. That's what's going on here. Little dirty politics. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I hate to point this out, but it does appear that there was a significant conflict of interest that went on here. Wouldn't you say? Hmm. Not even a conflict of interest. This is flat out bribery. So I thought it was very curious for him to suddenly change his vote in, at the 11th hour. But what do you know? All right, redirecting the conversation a bit, slightly here. A listener sent me this, and I couldn't even believe it, so I had to look it up for myself. Uh, Jeff's here, but he's got headphones on. Otherwise, I'd ask him about Jeff. So, uh, you know, Uma Thurman has a new movie out, right? No, that one. No, Did, that came do you out know? a long time ago, the mommy one. Yeah, the motherhood one. Yeah, that came out here a while back, and it just got released in the UK and did $130. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that was just what I was going to say. So a, a listener sent me this note the other day and said, did you see Uma Thurman put out a movie? And in the US, it grossed about $60,000, which is just disastrous. I mean- you put out a movie that grosses $60,000. I mean, even if you put it in one theater, that's a disaster. I, I don't care. I mean, unless it costs $2 to make, I mean, that's it's a disaster. So, uh, but it was released recently in the UK. Now, on the podcast the other night, I watched the trailer. We even played audio from the trailer. And now I understand that I'm pretty critical of movies. And I, I think that what Hollywood puts out now is mostly crap. Um, but this, I mean, at least I can understand why some movies would be appealing to some people. Maybe it's the testosterone in my veins. I tried to find a little bit of estrogen that males do have to try and get into the mindset of this movie being entertaining to anybody. And I couldn't find one. There wasn't even a second of this trailer that was at all appealing. It's like Uma Thurman and she's a mom. Or so, and, and it's the trials and tribulations. And it's not even like done in a funny way. It's just, it's just bad. So in the UK, this movie opened and a listener sent this to me and I couldn't even believe it, but supposedly it grossed $130. Not 130000 $130. As in $130. <laughs> So I looked it up and yeah, sure enough, not only did it gross $130, but on Sunday, this is the best part. On Sunday, it and and this was in pounds, it, it took in nine pounds, which means one person saw it. And it probably wasn't even Uma Thurman. Well, I wouldn't go that that was a piece of crap, that movie. I wasn't gonna go see it. If I put out a movie and had all my friends go and acquaintances. I could get more than $130 worth of worth of revenue. <laughs> uh, so I couldn't believe that that's got to be and you know the budget on that movie was 5 million dollars. So if you count the US gross of of 60,000 plus the incredible UK gross of $130 that's $60,130. Uh, net profit to the studio minus four million nine hundred 
and forty thousand dollars. <laughs> I uh, I think it's pretty safe to say Uma Thurman's done, right? I mean, no. I mean that's that's got to be the end, right? Hold on, Jeff, what's that? No, she's playing uh, Medusa in Clash of the Titans, and that'll be big. So yeah, that that movie might actually make in the quadruple digits. <laughs> Clash of the Titans that looks they, awesome. They might they might actually break uh, a, a thousand bucks. They might break a gur, as they say. Two, three hundred million. Nah, if it does, well, at least then that'll mean that if you average out, if it gets two hundred million, if you average your last two movies, then that's that's almost a hundred million dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard of box office bombs before. I mean, we we've talked about it. Uh, Eddie Murphy had that one movie that that which what was it? Go Nash. Yeah, what did that make? Like a million? I don't even think it made that much. Yeah, and and you know that was considered just d disaster, and I'm sure it cost a lot more than that to make. Obviously, I mean Eddie Murphy alone made, you know, probably five mil. But uh, imagine you you have a movie and you make one hundred and thirty dollars. You know, it's one thing if you're like the Blair Witch people. You know, remember they that that movie was what? Uh, what did it cost? Twenty thousand or something? Or, Hundred, hundred thirty thousand to make. Thirty million. Yeah, it made one hundred thirty million. Well, yeah. you know when you when you start doing that, what is that? Uh, that's that's ten. Uh, that's uh, like a thousand times. Uh, you know what you put in. You know that's thousand times your investment returned to you. So that's pretty good. But hell, even if you make a movie for twenty million dollars and you only make thirty million, at least that's something. Wow. So, uh, congratulations, Uma Thurman. You've uh, you've done it. You've. I think it's pretty safe to say, and I don't know this. I, I'm not speaking necessarily on on a, th a position of authority here, but I, I'm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. And I'm pretty much gonna say that's the worst movie take in history. You know, ratio wise. And there's, there, listen, there's been some bad ones, but that's got to be, that's up there. That's got to be, yeah, exactly. That has got to be number one. All right, well, got to get into some other stuff here. The Michael Graff Show Stupid News File. Um, we'll talk about some of that stuff. I, I want to, oh, you know what? I have to mention this because there's been so much debate and so many people write me and I've been in so many discussions and debates and things online about this. So, you know, this health care bill, the Obamacare bill, um, is going to cover people that make up to 400% above the poverty level. So, roughly, the numbers that have been bandied about are between eighty four dollars to $88,000. So, let's just say, so if you make less than $88,000 a year, you're going to be covered under Obamacare. Now, of course, if you don't have health insurance and you don't buy any, you're going to get fined. Um, that's just how it is. Uh, Sixteen... Well, let's see. Uh, it looks like at least 11 states, possibly as many as 16 states, will be filing a lawsuit against this. Uh, Arizona's Attorney General Terry Goddard said he will not participate in the lawsuit. So the state legislature here in Arizona decided that they're going to give the governor the authority and the financial backing to go and sue. 
Now, on one hand, and believe me, I, as much as I don't like the Obamacare deal here, on one hand, I sit here and I think, wait a minute, the state of Arizona has, um, we, we're having a budget problem here. Now, we're going to have a huge budget problem once Obamacare uh, really kicks in because uh, this it's we've already run the numbers, we've crunched the numbers, and it's going to cost Arizona uh, some $8 billion, Obamacare. $8 billion is what's going to cost the state of Arizona. Now, keeping in mind, we're already operating at about a, we're already about $2.3 billion in debt in the state of Arizona. All right. But then you factor in uh, this, I mean, it's going to just drive our debt up insanely. So I understand, but you know, it's going to cost us money to fight this. For the state of Arizona, we're getting our own lawyer. We're going to have our own case, you know, and maybe they'll consolidate these cases and uh, put them all into one. But um, it's not going to be cheap. The state of Arizona is going to spend several hundred thousand dollars uh, in legal fees fighting this for what some legal experts would say, even though it may be unconstitutional, uh, is sort of a fight uphill. So I, I kind of wonder when we already have a budget problem, why we're fighting this when other states are already doing it anyway. It's not like piling on more states increases the chance that you're going to win. Um, so on one hand, I have to say I'm not really happy with the state of Arizona for doing it. Obviously, on the other hand, I am because, you know, individuals can't sue the federal government about this. We can't challenge. In other words, you or I or anybody else, we can't go before the Supreme Court or before any court and argue the constitutionality of this. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, is technically in, under the law, you do understand that you're not a United States citizen. Under the law, you are, well, at least if you're living here, for example, you're a citizen of the state of Arizona and Arizona is a part of the United States. So you're a United States citizen by way of being a citizen of the state of Arizona. So whenever a legal dispute happens with the federal government, how it's supposed to work is the state is supposed to represent you in a legal challenge. That's how it works. So some of it's political theater. The, the governor of the state of Arizona is Republican. The legislature in the state of Arizona is controlled by Republicans. Our attorney general is a Democrat. So there's no way that a Democratic attorney general is going to go against Obamacare. With one exception, there was one uh, Democrat attorney general that did. But for the most part, that's just not going to happen. These are conservative attorney generals or conservative governors that are doing it. With one exception. So I don't know. The legal challenge to this, I, under, I applaud uh, challenging it, but I don't think we need uh, 17 states or 16 states doing it. Um, if you want to stop Obamacare, simply all you have to do is you just have your state um, initiate a referendum whereby the people of the state decide that they're going to vote for themselves. They're going to vote up or down whether or not they want to accept Obamacare. And if the states reject it, then um, by the 10th Amendment, we don't have to uh, accept this uh, Obamacare into the state. Now, of course, now there's a legal challenge as well. What are the state's rights here? The other legal challenge is whether or not the federal government has the right to tell you that you have to buy something. 
Because never in the history of the United States have we had an edict where you have to purchase something. It's never been done. There's many challenges to uh, the Obamacare bill that are being put forth. What I'm challenging is the idea, the notion that you're forcing, you're mandating that people buy something. You can't do that. Now, the other aspect to the healthcare debate that's particularly frustrating is that people always tell you that healthcare is a right. Now, I have to tell you that, okay, let's, let's go with that for a second. Let's just say, all right, healthcare is a basic right. It's a basic human right. Well, all throughout the history of mankind, the thing that is most common, the, the general theme, the paradigm is that human beings need three things to survive, food, water, and shelter. So based on that, you would say that those three things are definitely rights. Are they not? So if under the Obamacare plan, people that make 400% above the poverty level, $88,000 a year, are therefore covered uh, under a right, which is what healthcare is, then obviously food, water, and shelter should be covered in that same group, should it not? People that make $88,000 a year or less should get their food, water, and shelter covered. We hear about big oil and big tobacco and big pharma all the time. What about big food? I'm serious. We have Safeway and Walmart. These are multinational corporations. I'm sorry. How dare they charge for food, something that you need to survive? Sure, there are government programs that help pay for your food. But I mean, have you ever seen what the government actually gives you? Have you ever seen government cheese? I mean, really? You see what they give you? I mean, you have to be well below the poverty line in order to get food stamps. Now we're talking about a basic human right, health care, a basic human right, quote unquote. And that's covered by, to people that make $88,000 a year or less. So I'm saying let's give people that make $88,000 a year or less food. Now, what kind of food? Well, you obviously need things like eggs, for example. I mean, the America's dairy farmers will tell you you need milk as well so you can get your calcium and fight osteoporosis. You need, um, well, you need meat. And now if you're a vegetarian, maybe not. Maybe we could give you some tofu or something. But okay, you need meat. What about steak? What kind of steak? Should you have, um, you know, uh, New York strip, T-bone? Yeah, dog, Jeff says dog food. No, really, yeah, what about it? You get, uh, you get uh, maybe filet mignon. Okay, maybe that's a little too much. Or pork, beef. You know, these, these should all be covered. The government should be giving you this. If you make less than $88,000 a year, yeah, if you want something like, uh, like Hershey bars or if you want beer, okay, the government shouldn't have to pay for that. But they should definitely be paying for basic uh, kinds of food, meat, potatoes, of course. These are basic needs. Rice, absolutely. If you make $88,000 a year or less, you're, you should get that right. Okay, what about water? Well, water, we, you talk about big oil. What about big water? SRP, for example. How dare they charge you for something that if you don't have water, you're not going to live long enough to have to worry about health care. You need water, especially if you live here in the desert. Water is essential. How dare they charge, you know, I mean, all they do, all these, these evil water companies, all they're ever doing, all these utility companies do is they store the water. They have a system for water delivery. 
they have a means uh, for purifying the water, refuse and this kinds of thing, desalinization plants. They have employees there to keep track of water usage, uh, make sure that they find other means uh, to get water, monitor water levels in, in underground wells and things of this nature. So, and then they, they have the audacity. I mean, I, you get your water bill, it's like 75, 80 bucks. Could be even more, depending. Now, of course, the government shouldn't pay for you to be able to fill up your pool. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, you know, you should get some kind of break on your water, shouldn't you? If you make less than $88,000 a year. I mean, if you make more than that, you're just, as we know, you're rich and you're evil. But if the, the line, the declination between good and evil apparently has been set at $88,000. Or thereabouts, 84, 88,000. So if you make less than 88,000, you need your food and your water and then your shelter. Well, you definitely need your, your house payment, especially in these economic times with foreclosures being out of control. We need to pay for people's uh, house, uh, house payments. Why not? And it doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. You live in a, in a, in a little shanty or if you live in a, uh, in a, in a 7,500 square foot home sitting on a mountain someplace. Why not? I'm taking the logic. I'm not being facetious. I'm taking the logic that's been put forth here. If healthcare is a human right that you say it is, and again, I'm not diminishing that healthcare is important. I'm not saying that obviously it is. And and we need to take care of people. There are people that need help. But if you say, if you go as far as to say it's a right, it's a human right. Well, food, water, and shelter are rights. And last I checked, Safeway makes a profit. Last I checked, Albertsons, I know it's my store, but I can't just walk in and take a steak. I mean, I've tried it like seven times and I've been arrested every single time I did it. But now that Obama's in there, I can say, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, officer. Now it's a right. Well, how much do you make, sir? Well, I make less than 88000 Oh, well... Help yourself. Why did you only take one? You better take three. In fact, here, sir, let me let me get a cart for you. <laughs> hey, is he stealing? No, no, he makes less than eighty-eight thousand. Oh, it's his store then. Like I go into AJ. That's not my store. That's for people that make more than eighty-eight thousand. You know, you go into AJ's. They they have like a they have they have you know, if you're a drug sniffing dogs they have uh, they have wealth sniffing dogs there. And they bite you in the crotch if you walk in with less than $1,000. But it's a basic, it's a right then. $88,000 a year, food, water, shelter, health care, it's a right. What other rights are there? Well, air, uh, believe me, if there was a way, somebody would try and, and ration out the air supply. I'm sure they would. And I don't mean air supply like air supply. I mean air supply, like real air supply. <laughs> yeah, you knew, you knew I was going to go there, I guess. But anyway, um, I really believe that if you're going to call something a right, then you have to you have to give government subsidies for all rights. Makes sense to me. Hmm. Well, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is what we need the government subsidy for, right here. Here you go. That this makes sense. No, I didn't mean air supply. Yeah. It's your government subsidized music. Wondering what went wrong. 
right. Anyway. I know I'm going to catch a lot of crap for that, but you have to think about this. And, and still, to this day, to this day, nobody has satisfactorily answered how we're going to pay for this bill, how we're going to cover the 60% obese people in this country. I know the solution is we'll just increase taxes. And now they're talking about having an, a new tax on soda, a new tax on pizza, a new tax on fast food. We're going to have uh, what's called a sin tax on a lot of things. And that's how they're going to cover some of this health care cost. Well, um, I guess, why not? Why, why stop there? We better start taxing. We, we need, oh, and they've already uh, proposed the idea of also taxing uh, alcohol more. I think what we should do is, I, I, what we ought to do is we ought to just take everybody's money. All the money you make, we ought to throw it into a great big pile, all right? And then we'll just hand it out to people as they need it. Uh, well, okay, what do you need? Well, uh, I need to eat. Okay, uh, what would you like to eat? Well, some steak. Okay, um, all right, here, uh, here's, some, here's some money for that. Uh, here's some money for your rent. We're going to dole it out. We're the government. I mean, we're, we're just here to take care of you. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to my country. I don't know what happened to the United States. I really don't. It's changed so dramatically so quickly. When I was a kid, it, this, this isn't the country I grew up in. And I know you think I'm making, um, I, I'm not trying to sound like John Boehner and say that this is Armageddon, okay? I'm not going to go that far. However, I will tell, tell you this, and this is something that, a point that really needs to be made here, and that is you, you want to see what happens when a country gives away too many entitlements. You look at Greece. What happens when democracy begins to fail, when the people realize that they can just vote for the guy that's going to hand out the greatest amount of largesse from the treasury? The person that promises the most free stuff will be the guy that people elect. And then what happens is they, they rob the treasury with impunity and suddenly the currency that we have becomes worthless because we rack up a tremendous amount of debt. Nobody wants to give us money anymore. Nobody buys uh, bonds except for people that are, except for foreigners and, 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 and they own half of our country. And what then happens is you want to see a great example. Never mind Greece. Greece is an example of where we're going to be soon too. But you want to see an example of what happens when your country no longer has financial solvency. Well, Look at Mexico. What was it, 25 years ago that in the middle of the night they just decided, okay, we're, we're, we have to get rid of this currency. We, they issue a brand new currency and you have to turn in your old currency. And the new currency is only like one-tenth the value of the old currency. And if you don't turn in your old currency in a timely fashion, well, that currency just becomes worthless and you, won't turn, you can't turn it in for anything. It won't even be worth the paper it's printed on. And if you think I'm making that up, and if you think that that's an impossible thing to happen, well, it's already happened. It happened in Mexico. It hap it's happening right now in Greece and other European nations where they give out all these entitlements. Now, people compare the United States to Canada, and they say, well, you know, Canada has its own health care system. I want you to do something for me if you buy into that theory. Okay, I want you to go get a globe if you have one, or, or get a map. Now, if you look at the map carefully, you're going to notice something. Canada 
is a country located to the north of the United States, uh, primarily, or east, if you're looking from Alaska. Um, just I'm letting Sarah Palin know that also. Uh, it's, it's the country located to the north. You'll notice that it is not the United States. You're going to take note that Canada is actually a different country. And uh, you're going to also notice that Canada has one-tenth the population that the United States has. You'll notice that Canada has a completely different financial structure. You're going to notice, and you could say, well, uh, maybe it's time for the United States to change its financial structure. Well, guess what? We can't. We're living in reality here. We can't have Canada's health care system. We have way too many of our own health care problems. And frankly, we're not set up the same way Canada is. And you'll notice who, which one of us is the superpower. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm not trying to say that we're better than Canada, but I really don't know how to finish that sentence. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that we have a healthcare system that is, it's definitely not perfect. It definitely needs improvement. It definitely needs fixing. The solution, however, is not to bankrupt the country. The solution if you want real solutions, what you have to do is look at why healthcare costs are so high. And you can say, well, it's insurance companies. Well, that's sort of true, except you have to look deeper than that. The real reason that healthcare costs are so high, when, when you go to a hospital, and I can, I'll use my, my, myself as an example. Three years ago, I had a, a ureter, a stone in my ureter, okay? And uh, I had it removed. And uh, without insurance, the cost would have been $22,200, okay, for that procedure. Because I saw the bill. And you might say, well, I mean, how long were you in there? I was in the hospital a total. From the time I walked in the door and checked in and filled out the forms to the time I left the hospital... The total amount of time was about seven hours, $22,000. And you say, well, uh, yeah, I mean, so who was getting all the money? Well, it certainly wasn't the surgeon that performed it or the anesthesiologist. It wasn't the nurses. They, they, don't, they get a, a fraction. They get, if you add all of them together, if you add all of them up, they get maybe 10% of that cost. Most of that cost is going to pay for the hospital's malpractice insurance. And you know why it's going there? Because you have people that are accidentally given aspirin instead of Tylenol that then run to somebody like John Edwards and, uh, or other trial lawyers, and they sue the hospital for $100 million. And it happens all the time. So if you really want to fix the healthcare system, tort reform is probably the best place to start. I'm not saying there's not legitimate malpractice cases that go on, because there certainly are. But I'm saying that um, what happens nowadays is you can't even make a mistake as a doctor. You can't even make a mistake uh, as a nurse. And if you dare act a little surly around somebody, well, that's, that's going to be, that's like a couple million dollar lawsuit right there. Anytime anything at all goes wrong in a hospital, even if it's not the fault of the hospital, even if it's not the fault of anybody, if it's just something bad that happens, a complication, immediately you're entitled $30 million. And that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how it was supposed to be. So you want to fix, you want to drive down the healthcare costs. Tort reform is 
place number one to start. And as soon as you do that, I, I promise you, I will guarantee you, you will fix, you'll, well, you'll be on the path to fixing healthcare. You'll make insurance costs drop. You'll make it more affordable because all of a sudden the hospital doesn't need to charge you $22,000 anymore. Because let's face it, the hospital isn't getting most of that money anyway. Most of that money, the hospital is, is paying to their malpractice insurance. You think doctors are making a great living. Doctors do fine, I suppose. But let's be honest and say that the doctor should really be the one making the most of the money when it comes to a surgery, don't you think? Don't you think the surgeon should really be making the money, not not going to malpractice insurance so that trial lawyers can eat most of that up later? Yeah, sure, we should give some money to the nurses and give it to the staff. And oh, by the way, let's actually improve the technology in the hospital. That's all fine. The problem is, is that's a very small percentage of the bill at the end of the day. Why does an aspirin in a hospital cost $85? Because it's all going to the malpractice. You get it now? Yeah, other countries don't have that problem because other countries' healthcare systems are different. Well, yeah, because they, uh, well, they do have litigious people, not nearly to the extent that the United States does. That's the main difference between the United States healthcare system and the rest of the world. Not that it's a for-profit system. Everybody makes it sound like for-profit is inherently evil. I hate to tell you this, and this is going to come across maybe the wrong way, but we live in a society where monetary compensation is the incentive. It is. You can say that doctors don't get into it for the money. Well, why then would a doctor spend $100,000 for, for in medical school and go to med school and do their residency and do all this 8, 12 years only to make $5,000 a year or something. I mean, they're not, gonna, they're not doing it for altruistic purposes necessarily. Yes, they want to help people, but they want to make a buck too. And they have a unique skill set. They have a skill set that uh, not everybody has. They have an education level that not everybody has. And so they are deserving of proper monetary compensation. And people that go out and they discover cures for diseases, they are entitled. That's where the word entitlement comes in. They, sh they should be getting, they are entitled to compensation for their discovery. You know, I I'm sorry, that's how it works. You're living in fantasy land. If you, if you think, if you want to have a philosophical discussion that says, hey, people should just do the right thing, fine. But if you want to have a realistic discussion where we talk about changing healthcare, well, then the place you really have to start is it's okay for people to have incentive. It's okay for people to use money as incentive to be uh, doctors or to be researchers, to be nurses. And uh, it's okay to make a little profit. What's not okay is for the wrong people to be making profit. And the wrong people just so happen to be, well, trial lawyers, I think, number one. Yes, pharmaceutical companies, there's issues there. When you have patents on certain medicines and nobody else is able to use them and then you can just run up the bill and you can charge $300 for an Advair, trust me. That's frustrating. 
trust me when I tell you that that does need to change. But if you eliminate one problem, the dominoes, the house of cards, however you want to look at it metaphorically, it's all going to come down and it's going to help people. That's the difference between the United States and the rest of the world right there. Our legal system is, it's, it's a great legal system in many ways, but it's so flawed and it is so bogged down. It's, it's bogging down government. It's bogging down healthcare. It's bogging down everything to the point where that's why costs are as they are. And you can choose to accept it or you can deny it, but that's the reality. And that's the discussion that you really need to have. Tort reform should be priority number one. The end. There. I, I, I just, I fixed it. I fixed health care. Make me the president. Jesus. Sorry, I brought common sense to the table. I'll, uh... I'll just go back to talking points, I guess. All right, Mike at KMGX.com. That would be the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger, EFNet, IRC, Net Radio, the channel. More information about this program and so much more at MichaelGroff.com. And should you want to make a donation to the program, of course, we accept it over there at... Our PayPal address, Mike at KMGX.com. All right, back with segment number three. We'll wrap up this show, this incredibly long podcast. And we got some stupid news we can get to. That's all coming up. It's Michael Groff in exile on a Wednesday. Back after this.
final segment of Michael Graff in Exile on a Wednesday. All right, it's about that time where we delve into it. By the way, just for the record, Mike at KMGX.com, our email and PayPal address, Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger, and MichaelGraff.com for the rest of your Michael Graff Show-related needs. All right. I'm looking here at uh, some... We, we've got just a pile of stuff. Well, I'll try and run through a couple of these as quickly as possible. The Michael Grav Show stupid news file just overflowing with uh, stuff. And by the way, if you hear some a little bit of extra noise in the background, I've actually resorted to turning on the, uh, the air conditioner in this room because uh, otherwise it'll just be overwhelmingly hot in here and I just won't even be able to deal with it. Uh, I'm actually, I'm sitting here, I'm sweating right now while I'm doing this show. It's March 31st. It's not even really that hot of a day. I think it's 80 degrees outside, but it's just gotten uh, ridiculously toasty in here. In fact, let me just take a peek at the uh, the uh, weather outside right now. I, I know it's going to be like uh, 20 or 25 degrees cooler tomorrow, so that'll be nice. But yes, right now outside is a beautiful global warming, uh, 82 degrees here. And uh, it's probably about 85 in this room. I'm just going to guess. And that's just a little bit too toasty for me. Sorry. All right, bud, from the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. Well, how about the... <sighs> there's, there's certain ways to present even the most tragic situations. There's a, a positive spin to be put on even the most brutal of diseases. Uh, Dateline, Cleveland, Ohio, where... People are looking at the funny, funnier than usual, some sneer or laugh, but some kind of smile just at the idea of this. There's a bright red t-shirt and it's got an interesting, got an interesting spin. It's sort of the... If you will, it's the it's the the more upbeat side of HIV. Yes, we're trying to put a better spin on HIV. You might even say the positive spin on HIV. So there's a shirt now that they have out that says HIV positive. Uh, this probably isn't going to go over too well. The bold black and white lettering on the red shirt that says HIV positive. My shirt identifies me as having the human immunodeficiency virus. The sneaky bug that can um, reverse transcribe itself into my DNA and cause AIDS, uh, which has infected 65 million people worldwide and killed at least 25 million people since the 1970s. On Friday, several hundred other people in the greater Cleveland area where 4,000 people live with AIDS uh, will do the same thing. So now everybody that has AIDS, they're going to come out and they're going to, they're, they're, Wearing their shirts that say, hey, I'm HIV positive. Well, at least uh, that's, that's good, I guess. At least they're identifiable. The plan is to get everybody, ourselves included, drinking, or I'm sorry, thinking, thinking about all the things that we think of when we think about HIV and AIDS. Quote, we're out to challenge the silence, the mantle of shame that descends. The stigmas associated with HIV. AIDS Task Force Executive Director Earl Pike said, quote, We don't stigmatize people 
with uh, who have prostate cancer. So why HIV? Well, there's there's a little bit of a difference. Pike is the guy who came up with the idea for Friday's uh, guerrilla action after uh, British singer Annie Lennox caused a fan panic by wearing an HIV-positive T-shirt on national TV. Quote, it's about secrets, sexual histories, who uses drugs, said Pike said. When you ask those questions, you find out it's not just people in, their, uh, in the inner cities. It's also uh, people in Salon or Salon and Orange and Medina. I guess these are areas around Cleveland. How awesome it would be if everybody told everybody the truth about who we are and what we do. Well, I mean, that's refreshing. That's great. Um, I just think it's weird. So there you go. HIV positive. Be looking for that. Now, here, um, here's something that's really dumb. As I've told you, stealing something, it's wrong. Stealing something from a cop is probably dumber. Stealing something from a cop around a whole bunch of other cops, that probably should just earn you a one-way trip to the grave, don't you think? That should really just be Darwinian right there and be the end of it all. Well, Mark Jimenez, he eyed up laptop bags even while uniformed constables were arriving and leaving um, due for uh, INSP Penny Mills. Let's see. This is uh, the 46-year-old still went ahead and uh, lifted a handbag during a speech before being tackled and surrounded by 40 officers. The incident happened at the Elk Bar uh, just doors away from the, uh, from the uh, Fulham police station in West London. Jimenez was a numbskull, said, <laughs> said, uh, said Officer Craig Smith. He's a member of the Crime and uh, Crime on Hammersmith and Fulham Council, adding, quote, I can't believe anyone would be stupid enough to try and, and pinch a detective's bag from a room full of officers. A police source said of the January incident, quote, it was fairly obvious they were all police. Quote, I mean, there were speeches going on praising Penny's work and a few uniformed officers even popped in to say goodbye. Well, so uh, there, that's, that's pretty dumb. But of course, the best story of the day is the story we talked about earlier. Uma Thurman putting out a movie called Motherhood that made $130. And uh, somehow, um, somehow, I didn't even believe it. I know, I, I, <laughs> I find it amazing as well. Other news making the rounds here in the state of Arizona. Very soon, it may be legal to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. Uh, the, it passed the state house... And the state Senate uh, gave it an approval as well. And now the bill will go to the governor's desk where she is expected to sign it. And then that'll become law. So people will be able to pack heat. You have to be uh, 21 years of age or older, however. But otherwise, uh, citizens can legally pack heat in the state of Arizona 
concealed without a permit. And so be expecting that law to pass uh, very soon. The governor is expected to sign that. So there you go. I guess for the people that did the training, though, uh, maybe they kind of feel a little gypped. Although the good news about that training is if you do have a concealed weapons permit, um, it it will uh, work in 17 other states. It applies to 17 other states. Now, you may say, well, why doesn't it apply to all other 50 states? I mean, uh, after all, the full faith and credit clause in the United States Constitution should should provide that a concealed weapons permit in Arizona works in any state. Well, yeah, not so much. Not so much because, uh, and again, we've gone back and forth. The Supreme Court and uh, and gun laws being what they are are a little bit different than, say, like a driver's license. Because obviously, if you have a driver's license um, in one state, it works in all states. But um, unfortunately, uh, concealed weapons permits are not the same because gun laws are definitely more restrictive in other in places, um, some places more than others. Um, for example, the state of New York, your concealed weapons permit from Arizona, they'll laugh at you and they'll say, all right, well, that's great, but uh, this isn't Arizona. Look at a map. Just like those people that try and compare us to Canada. Look at a map. Not the same, believe it or not. That's good news. Uh, let's see. Well, that's pretty much it. There's other stuff going on. We got, we, you know, there's, we're just five days away. Well, we're actually we're technically four days away from the start of the Major League Baseball season. Love it. We'll have a preview coming up uh, tomorrow and uh, maybe a little bit on Friday as well of uh, the baseball season. Give you a little glimpse of uh, my picks. You know, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm waffling on a lot of my picks. And I have to mention this. I have to get this in there. So speaking of Major League Baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, that's an organization in flux right now because their owner, Frank McCord, is going through a pretty nasty divorce. And he, well, this, this thing is just starting to get interesting. Frank McCord, they've been, uh, let's see, he's been married for about 30 years. Owns the Dodgers. The Dodgers have done pretty well. Um, they've made quite a bit of money, especially in the last five years. And his wife wants a piece of that. In fact, here's what his wife is asking for. Now, get this. And hey, you talk about ballsy. She is demanding a million dollars a month in spousal support. She's demanding a million dollars a month in, in alimony, spousal support, because... She's gotten accustomed to a certain lifestyle. She's gotten used to the lifestyle, and she has she has several uh, she has several houses in which um, uh, valued at a total of about sixty five million dollars uh, that she needs to be able to maintain. And so, uh, in order to continue the lifestyle that she's used to, she needs a, a million dollars a month. Now, Frank McCourt is willing, uh, I guess, to give about $150,000 a month. Well, that just won't do. $150,000 a month? Are you kidding? I mean, that, what, that's barely anything. That's $5,000 a day. I mean, who could live on $5,000 a day? <laughs> really? 
So this divorce, this is just heating up. I mean, if you've read anything about this, this is really interesting. So uh, of course, uh, Mrs. McCord says that um, Frank should be able to pay this because uh, he just uh, spent $80,000 on clothes since November uh, and, and a vacation as well. And uh, he just, um, but he says, Frank McCord says that you know, right now he only is going to make about $5 million this year. But uh, they're going to go through all the books of the Dodgers because the Dodgers made a significant amount of money between 2005 and, uh, well, 2004 to 2009. Uh, the Dodgers made, um, let's see, the value of the team went from hundred and about $150 million to nearly $300 million, so nearly doubling in value. So this is just going to get uglier and uglier. And uh, this is going to mean the Dodgers are probably not going to be able to go out and spend very much on free agents. They're not going to be able to look at a lot of existing contracts. And matter of fact, they might even be in the position of selling. Uh, but I wouldn't look for the Dodgers to be doing a whole lot. You're, you're just going to have to go with what you got because this ownership group, this is, uh, well, it's sort of on lockdown right now. That's what happens in a divorce. You're just waiting for me to comment on it, aren't you? You're just waiting for me to say something about the million dollars a month in spousal support. But look, I've maintained, I, I've said this for a long time, that the divorce laws in this country are about as backwards as you could possibly be. And I've taken a lot of crap for saying this, but okay, you got used to making, uh, you got used to a certain lifestyle. Well, you know, I'm sure Frank got used to having sex regularly. I'm sure Frank got used to a lot of things too. And now he has to get used to not having a wife. It's called change. Look, we, we got change in the White House. We got change in the Congress. Uh, you're going to have to get used to some change of your own, honey. Uh, you're going to have to get used to, um, you know, you're, you're getting divorced and whether or not you chose it or not, uh, you're going to have to get used to it. You know, uh, that's just how it goes. We've all been in relationships. We got used to sex regularly. We got used to, you know, we got used to a lot of things. And then when the relationship ends, we have to get used to, no, we have to get used to our right hands. Or left. Or both. You know, two-fisted monkey slap. You got to get used to it. All right, I'm sorry. That's just how it is. Uh, you want a million dollars? Here's the thing. Uh, get used to eating at uh, McDonald's instead of at uh, Nobu. Uh, instead of going to, um, you know, instead of going to, uh, uh, who's that, uh, Emerald's uh, restaurant. And, and instead of going to, you know, uh, the, the, the Sky Bar. You know what? You're just going to have to go to Applebee's. I went to Applebee's and, and had a, a cowboy burger today. It was very good. There's nothing... Listen, $150,000, you can still probably go to the Sky Bar. If that guy, I mean, the divorce laws in this country are so weird. Um, it's just like when Michael Jordan uh, got a divorce from his wife. And if I was Michael Jordan's lawyer, you know, this is how I would have approached this. I would have stood up and I would have said, what was, what was the woman's name? I can't remember her name now, Anita or something like that. Yeah, she had some weird day. But anyway, I would say, Mrs. Jordan, let me ask you a question. How many game-winning shots did you hit in your career? What was that? Oh, 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 the answer was zero. Oh, 
Well, well, okay. Well, certainly, uh, you must have scored quite a few points in your NBA career, didn't you? Well, wait, you didn't. In fact, you weren't even in the NBA. In fact, you didn't even have a career, huh? Well, uh, I have no further questions. It's it's really interesting. It's just like A Rod when he got divorced. And again, A-Rod, you know, he was out cheating on his wife, allegedly. And, you know, the guy might be a scum, but um, again, you ask his wife, what was her name? Cynthia Rodriguez. How many, how many hits did you get in your career? How much money did the New York Yankees ever pay you? Sorry, A-Rod was the breadwinner in the relationship. Not just the breadwinner. He was the guy that brought in all the money, all of it. So this woman, uh, she's going to go after uh, Frank McCord's dough and she's, and again, you know, I'm one of these people. I do believe that if you're married to somebody and there, I do believe it, to some degree in community assets, I know that not every wife just sits around and collects the husband's money and then spends the husband's money. I get that. Or the other way around. I'm not even making this about, you know, man versus woman. I'm making this about what's fair. If you made most of the money, you should walk away with most of the money in the divorce. Yes, I think the reasonable thing to do if you get a divorce and you're two reasonable human beings, I think the right thing to do is you give the spouse, you give them a little bit on the way out the door. It's especially when you're talking about in this situation, you know, Frank McCourt should morally i mean be a good guy i mean i don't know the conditions of their divorce i don't know what the i don't know if it's uh, a situation where he cheated she cheated i don't know if there's anything like that maybe there's not maybe it's just one of those situations where they're just no longer compatible human beings and at that point you say to her you say okay look you know what i want to be i want to do the right thing and i don't want to just kick you out to the curb i don't want to just leave you out in the cold Here's, here's a few bucks, you know, here's, here's uh, half a million dollars, you know, that should cover you and, and I'm going to let you have this house or whatever. And you do that. And, and that's a decent, reasonable thing to do because I'm sure that look, if they're married for 30 years, obviously she was doing something right and he was doing something right for her and they were, they were amicable for some time. And uh, she did support him in, in other ways other than just financially. So, yes, she's entitled to something. But when it comes to a million dollars a month, um, even $150,000 a month, that just sounds insane to me. That just doesn't even sound right. And when you're talking about a situation like uh, when, when you're married to an NBA uh, superstar like Michael Jordan or you're married to A-Rod... What really, what right do you have to demand the money from that person? You came into the marriage with nothing, ostensibly. And you married the person knowing that they were rich, probably, or would be at some point. And even if you didn't, you came in with nothing. You know, uh, you probably spent the majority of your life growing up. It's just like, well, I got used to a certain lifestyle. Well... But what did you have before you entered the marriage? Before you entered the marriage, you must have been used to a different lifestyle. You know, uh, you you can deal. 
Yeah, you were able to deal with that. You were able to deal, and then you were able to deal with some money. Well, you know what? You, you just, I again, I think it's fair. I, I think a, a maybe maybe uh, I could go as far as to say ten percent would be fair. Now, if you're in a situation where you have both parties that have contributed to a house, you have both parties that have contributed to um, a car or you know, larger um, assets, larger uh, pieces of property. Well, then you do have to divvy it up. And then you probably do have to get, it does get a little bit complicated and it does get a little bit ugly because it's, most divorce doesn't involve one person that has uh, $50 million and the other person that has nothing. Most of the time it involves two middle-class people or lower middle-class people and, you know, two people that make uh, $35,000 a year. And they've both invested in a house or they've both invested in property. They've both invested in various assets. And then you do have to divvy it up. You do have to figure out what whose is whose. And if you can't, then you have to sell it. And then that's when it's just, ugh, it's uh, being a divorce attorney, um, being a judge. That's got to really suck in that situation. But then again, those situations, it's not too often that you have to worry about spousal support, though sometimes even there, spousal support occurs. And most often, you know, a vast majority, an overwhelming majority of the time, it is a man paying spousal support to a woman. And in some cases, there it's not even out of the question that sometimes you have the man paying spousal support to a woman when the woman makes more money. See, that's the problem. The divorce laws in this country are just, I can't even tell you how out of whack they completely are. And most states have what's called no-fault divorce. So even if you came home and you caught your, your spouse cheating in your bed and you, and you got angry and said, I'm going to divorce you and that's it, it's over. Well, uh, you're giving up 50% of what you own. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's almost better to kill her at that point. Uh, anyway, that's that's not my official position. Um, don't say, oh, you know, uh, your honor, I killed her because I heard this guy on this podcast that said it was okay. Said it's cheaper to kill her. <laughs> it wasn't that it's cheaper to keep her. No, it's cheaper to kill her, he said. Oh, well, who was that asshole? Well, some groff dude. I don't know. So you didn't hear it from me. I'm just saying that... <laughs> Yeah, well, look, um, I don't really believe that. I'm sorry. Yeah, you can. I wonder why I haven't been married. All right. Mike at KMGX.com is the email address. <laughs> you know, even though uh, the podcast, I'm sure uh, what's going to happen is uh, that person that, that donated, they're going to be like, you know, I donated to this crap. I gave money to this douche. Really? I mean, what, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? I'm sorry. I, I, I can't help but think that the, the uh, divorce laws in this country are completely backwards. They say it's a man's world, and, and that's not true when it comes to divorce. It's never been a man's world when it comes to that. And then that's when you also have to wonder why people that are very wealthy don't draw prenups. Why a guy like Paul McCartney gets married and he doesn't drop a prenup? That's what happens, man. You get, uh, you know, you get a you get a hot little piece and it hypnotizes you. 
Women don't realize it, but, uh, you know, well, maybe a lot of them do. Um, what they've got, it can be quite hypnotic, I guess. It can make guys give up half their assets. And realistically, most of the time, it's totally not worth it. Well, I'm probably not going to be a marriage counselor anytime soon. Can you imagine somebody comes to me with marital issues and I go, you know, uh, either stay together or one of you has to kill the other, but you can't get a divorce. It's just going to cost both of you too much money. Because God forbid anybody has an amicable, amicable, he tried to say, divorce. I mean, my parents had an amicable divorce, but, you know. That's just uh, my wacky little world, I guess. All right, uh, we're back tomorrow. Another edition of Michael Graff in Exile uh, comes your way then. Be looking for it. I think we're on iTunes, I think. Um, I know for sure we're at michaelgraff.com. Check us out on Facebook. You can go to michaelgraff.com. Don't forget, PayPal address, mike at kmgx.com. That's also the email address, but most importantly, it's the PayPal address to send money. I know it sounds like I'm just stumping. It sounds like I'm really becoming more of a PBS broadcast where I'm just begging for money every show. But you know, look, uh, our operating costs are, are pretty high. Just to keep this place cool, uh, it's going to cost an arm and a leg, I'm sure. All right, we're back tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks to Jeff for his limited participation in the program. He, but he was here. There he is. And uh, I'm going to go sweat. It's, it's, it's like a sauna in here. We'll uh, see you tomorrow. <laughs>